Are you ready to overcome the complexities and burdens that come with your success? Join the team at Centura Wealth Advisory in the Live Life Liberated podcast. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to Live Life Liberated with the team from Centura Wealth Advisory. Today we got a double powerhouse in the hot seat. Sean Clark, David Cariani. How are you, gentlemen? Good morning. How are you? Doing very well, Eric. Yeah, I'm doing fantastic. I'm really excited. I know that you guys have a, a pretty meaty subject today that you're going to be talking about. What are you sharing with the audience? That's right. So today we're going to be discussing the rising interest rate environment mm -hmm. and the potential implications that may have for both planning and investments. We do both of those things here at Centura. And today we're going to try and educate our listeners and provide some opinions on fixed income, cash investments, and uh, kind of give some views on where the planning environment may be going. Yeah. And I think this is vitally important, obviously, because people are talking about this around the water cooler, interest rates, and then also inflation. And those are the two big ones right now. So I'm looking forward to it because I really want to learn more about interest rates. So take it away. Great. So, um, so kind of to that point, Eric, this is water cooler topic. It's front page news, that kind of thing. So who we're talking to today is really two primary audiences from a planning perspective. Anyone who's considering income and or estate tax planning should be listening. So these are high income earners or folks with estates that are at, near, or above the estate tax exemption threshold. So from that perspective, that's anyone, you know, that's from a planning perspective who should be listening. From an investment perspective, folks with assets in cash or traditional fixed income investments like bonds, these are, these are assets that are going to be affected by this type of an environment. So they should listen up as well as investors who have maybe avoided fixed income up to this point due to the low interest rate environment. So lots of folks have sought yield and outsized returns and income, things like that from other sources. So they may be in a little different position, but I think those are two camps from an investment standpoint that should, should listen up. So with that, I'm going to uh, turn it over to David to give us a macro view, sort of a 30,000 foot look at the overall environment and set some context for our discussion today. Sure. Thanks, Sean. So I don't, you know, I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but just to provide kind of a backdrop for the conversation of where we stand now versus from a historical perspective, right? So in 1981, you know, a little over 40 years ago, we had a peak in our interest rates in the United States with the 10-year treasury topping out just around 16% in that year. So you can imagine the mortgage might've been pretty tough to pay back then. And, and that, for 40 years trended downward pretty steadily and reached a low during the COVID pandemic of about half a percent. So down near almost zero return for a 10 year investment. And that is, uh, and that is since then turned up as we've started to recover economically and rates currently stand at about two and a half or a little more uh, percent for a 10 year bond. The current yield curve, which represents sort of the full spectrum of interest rates from one month out to 30 years, starts at about a quarter percent for one month, trends out pretty sharply to hitting two and a half percent for two-year bonds. And from there on out, the curve is pretty flat, meaning five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, they're all sitting around the two and a half percent range right now. And that's in line with sort of the Fed's, it, it, well, it's called the dot plot, and it's where the Fed Reserve members kind of forecast where they see short-term interest rates going over the near and medium term. 
and they have rates topping out between about two and a half and three percent on the Fed funds rate by the end of next year. And so the, after that two-year mark, basically the market is saying that rates are going to stay fairly stable from there forward. But what we have from really the, the high-level issue of what's going on right now is the, the economy is not in a state of equilibrium right now. So we have inflation that, depending on the measure you're looking at, is ranging between 6 and 7% currently. And we have interest rates that are basically from zero to two and a half percent right now and that's not a natural resting point for those two items right normally you would have interest rates returning greater than the rate of inflation so as you invest and earn something you're earning more than you're losing in buying power so what we have is you know basically a situation where something's got to give things will not stay as they are okay so Thanks for that little history lesson there, David, and painting the scene. It's a little bit technical in terms of what you were just kind of talking to. Let's just set the context. Why should the listener care based on what you just said? Well, given the current environment, I see that there are risks and opportunities. And, you know, we're kind of dividing those into two categories for our discussion today. And those are uh, the two categories are from a planning perspective and from an investment perspective. So I think, you know, I'd like to turn it over to you to maybe discuss with our listeners what this means from a planning perspective. Okay, sure. Sure. So in the planning world, interest rates are part of the equation, the math equation that ultimately determines the economics of different strategies. And so when we evaluate and design certain solutions, we use interest rates as an input. And rising interest rates will have implications on a wide range of strategies uh, that are currently employed today, things like CLATs and GRATs and intrafamily loans. So really the implications from a planning standpoint is that the economics may not make sense on some of the strategies that we were using previously, or the hurdle rates on those strategies may be higher. And at the same time, we may need to pivot to new or alternative solutions that are better suited for a higher interest rate environment. So there's a lot of opportunity, and really it's just an input in the formula that's changing. And depending on how much it changes and where it ultimately settles will determine a lot of the opportunities. But that's why it matters from a planning standpoint. It's a key input to a lot of the math and the, the economics that are ultimately derived from these transactions. So with that, that's planning, but how about from investments? What does this mean for investors who have assets in cash or traditional fixed income or even other areas of the markets that they've been investing in to seek outsized yield or returns? Well, what I'd like to focus on, I guess, is, is those that are you know, either invested in or contemplating investing in traditional fixed income. The, the risk there, as we've talked about, you know, for 40 years, rates have been coming down and they've, and, you know, they've recently just turned up and, and that move is starting to become a little more dramatic. And when rates go up, what you have is the potential for a loss of principal value. And so that's the, the primary risk that we're trying to address. And, and then with the inflationary environment that we have, we, we have a loss of buying power relative to inflation. So if your earnings are subpar, if you're earning 2.5%, but prices are going up 6 and 7% on you, you know, at the end of the year, you have 4 4.5% less buying power than you did at the beginning of the year. So that's kind of the main risk that we're trying to solve, as well as you know, the income rate. It, it is improving as rates go up. You will get a higher income from your investments. But in the meantime, you're still not. There's still generally pretty slim returns. 
And so those those people that need income, we're trying to address the risk there of, of falling short. But you know, the opportunity are there's some there's some other investments that can you know solve for these problems and provide better risk adjusted returns in this in this environment and you know still provide overall diversification for your portfolio so we'd like to explore some of those things today to you know help people navigate this environment and and find out how they can improve their overall outcomes okay great well i like where you're going with this i think we've painted the picture from maybe a thirty thousand foot view so to continue with that analogy i'd like to go down to maybe fifteen thousand feet look under the hood a little bit and you know, I liked kind of where you were headed. Uh, you, you sort of related this to the inflation side of things and the purchasing power. I know I'm paying over six dollars a gallon for gas, and cost of milk's going up, clothes—you name it. So, what's the main street kind of impact, the economic impact, of you will, from these rising interest rates? What does it mean? Well, so the, you know, I guess from the other side, we're, we've been talking from an investment side of what you might earn, but there's the cost side of the equation. And as rates go up, the borrowing costs obviously go up for individuals and for businesses, right? So it's going to impact the, the cost of your mortgage if you were to refi or buy a new property. For businesses, the same thing, right? They're constantly funding new ventures to generate revenue, and their cost of capital is increasing in this environment. And that will cause sort of a slowdown in economic activity if that continues because the money is more costly. And so they're going to be less inclined to borrow unless they're really certain that they're going to be able to make more than what it costs them to borrow. So it, it kind of has a dampening effect on economic activity, both at a micro and macro level as the cost of capital increases. Fantastic. So, you know, as the cost of borrow increases, risk appetites may come down, consumer psyche and kind of the wealth effect, if you will, may be pulled in. And so that can slow down consumer spending in other areas is what I hear you saying. Right. And and assets that are highly sensitive to interest rates, you know, have the potential to lose value on their on their principal. Okay. Cool. Well, let's let's get back to investments in just a second. Before we do, I just want to touch on the planning aspect. Uh, we, we did hit earlier on the fact that terms are less advantageous right now for certain strategies. They, they could get worse. They're not the worst that we've seen. Back in 2018, for instance, we saw higher interest rates than where we were. So all I'll see equal in the last few years, we have seen this type of environment. But if it does get away from us, then we may need to pivot to new or alternate strategies, uh, as I mentioned earlier. So we're not quite in that high interest rate environment yet from a planning standpoint. We're still low. I think if you looked at the trend lines and things, we could still stay low, especially if there was some economic weakness or changes in the inflationary environment. So it, in, in all instances, I think the hurdle rate's a little bit higher for some of these strategies, but most of the low interest rate strategies are still at play. However, from a you know planning perspective, we are looking out and looking at higher interest rates and what may make sense for that. So there's always opportunities, both from an income and a state tax planning standpoint, but I think in the current lay of the land, we're, we're still in that relative environment. So hopefully that helps paint some context from a planning standpoint here and what that means you know, as related to the rising rates. But a little bit more, I think, substantial for our listeners is to talk about the investment impact. So let's transition back to you, David, and get into kind of what this means for folks that hold bonds, folks that are considering new bonds, those maybe transitioning between different strategies. And uh, let's talk about that if you could. Well, Sean, from an investment perspective, initially, I'd like to focus on traditional fixed income and kind of where investors are now and where they might think about going. 
people have been seeking out protection of principal and income, and, and right now they're, they're kind of getting neither. You know, as rates are rising, that's causing a downward pressure on the price of their bonds, and they're still not high enough rates where they're really attractive uh, on the income perspective. So you're failing on both fronts there. And if you're looking uh, to, as you know, that's if you're already invested in bonds. If you're looking to invest in bonds with new money or with cash, rates are better now. So you're buying in and you get two and a half percent, whereas just a short while ago you were getting one percent. But they're still not that attractive, and especially when you factor in inflation and and how low they are relative to the degradation of your buying power right now. So that may, there will be a point when they rise high enough where it, it may be attractive to look at buying in to traditional bonds, but I don't think we're there yet. We're in a transitional period. If Whether you're looking to generate income, preserve capital, or just looking for a diversifying asset class against equities, traditional fixed income is still a tough spot right now. I'd say if you were looking at traditional fixed income, you know, you'd, you'd want to consider, uh, you know, sort of asset classes like floating rate, where as rates rise, your yield is actually appreciating with that as opposed to as opposed to reducing your principal. And of course, on the sort of the spectrum of the curve, as far as short and long, you'd want to stay with shorter fixed income, uh, shorter duration, because the longer the duration, the longer time until maturity, uh, the more impact, uh, the more negative impact from rising rates. So you'd want to stay shorter and you'd want to stay with possibly floating interest rates. Now, the floating interest rates may come with a higher credit risk. That's typically the segment of the market that uses those instruments, but there's no free lunch. So you have to trade off somewhere. And and I think that would be potentially a a worthy um, something to investigate. Okay. So to, to reframe, what I kind of hear you saying is that the rising interest rates are maybe not at their uh, high point yet, which is similar to what I was describing on the planning front. So the, the strategies that have been at play are still kind of at play. However, they're potentially changing on a go forward. I liked where you were mentioning some ideas in terms of you know floating rate security, short duration, things like that. When I look at capital market forecasts and kind of where the bond markets are today, equity markets, and kind of what, what's implied in the forecasts there, it doesn't look too rosy for traditional fixed income, particularly in the public markets. So when I look at options, and when we at Centura look at options, we love the alternative space. And you know what stands out to me is uh, private credit, as an example, and some of the other alternatives to traditional bonds and traditional fixed income that we like to employ. So, David, I'd like if you could take me through some of the alternative offerings that we like as alternatives to traditional public you know, bonds and how those might benefit investors and maybe what some of the risks and, and potential considerations are around those. Sure, absolutely. And this, I think, is the, you know, the most interesting part of, you know, of the conversation of things to contemplate because there's there's some real viable solutions here. Uh, so if, if somebody's frustrated by the terms that we've seen in, in traditional fixed income, we look to the alternative market and there's actually some very compelling stories to be heard there. So as far as you mentioned private credit, that's a great place to start. So as I mentioned, you know, a good place to be in the fixed income market would be around, you know, floating rate. So as as rates go up, so does your the yield on your investment. Private credit is typically or is typically uh, you know floating rate or short in duration. So kind of the two areas we said to focus on in traditional fixed income markets 
are what private credit does. It hits those kind of right on the nose. So they're either floating rate with a much higher yield than your traditional bonds because you're taking sort of private market risk, illiquidity risk. You're, you're trading off one risk for another. What we're trying to do is eliminate interest rate risk. That's the risk of a loss of principal as rates increase. So floating rate, private credit, eliminates that because as rates go up, so does the yield on the investment. And the short duration private credit eliminates that because it's so short uh, in term that as rates go up, your investment matures and you invest in a new investment at higher rates uh, over a very short time horizon. So you kind of naturally roll your portfolio to keep up with current interest rates. And private credit really you find kind of backed by two, there there are a lot of other sort of credit categories, but the two main categories or the assets that underlie these investments are typically real estate. So you have real property that is that is the collateral for the investment or you have business loans and those are collateralized by the hard assets as well as the operating profits of the business so those are kind of the two largest uh segments of this category but there are a lot of more esoteric ones as well but uh, that's a very interesting one to look at to pick up a little bit of different kind of risks and eliminate your interest rate risk and and probably walk away with a much higher yield than than you would in the traditional fixed income markets. Great. Well, that's certainly exciting. I know that's something from you know alternatives in general. Uh, you're able to capture some of those those risk premiums that you were talking about and get outsized returns for the same relative level of risk. So that's very attractive from a portfolio management standpoint and something that can be employed. What else? What are some other ideas? Well, another you know we we actually have a previous podcast that can be referred to on a bond replacement strategy using an insurance product. And so don't think of this as traditional insurance. Yes, it is life insurance that you know you have to be eligible. Uh, you have to have an eligible body to be underwritten, right? That's going to get a blood test and things like that. But other than that, you got to think about it as an investment. And we're talking about something that has 100% principal protection, basically guaranteed against downside loss. So solving that need for protection of principal for clients looking for that, as well as the ability to generate returns that are above those being offered in traditional fixed income markets right now. This isn't a knock it out of the park type return, but let's say your floor return for a year would be 1% and your high return might be 6% net. And you're going to average out on a you know year over year basis somewhere in between there. And that's with no downside risk. Those are two things that bonds are not offering right now, right? A, a higher average return in general and no downside. And that's another way uh, to address sort of the security of principle as well as generating a modest return. Okay, fantastic. So that's two ideas. I want to you know cover two more. That, that come to mind. One that I really like, especially from a design standpoint, in the planning world, sometimes we work with business owners who have liquidated an asset and they've got a large cash position and they're looking to get into the market. So they're currently in cash in a low yielding environment. Yes, it's going up uh, a little bit, but uh, we often use structured notes as a nice way to ladder into the market and kind of dollar cost average. But I think in this environment, they may take on a different form and be able to uh, work in, in other ways for the portfolio. Is that true? Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great point, Sean. So again, you're referring to a topic where we, we did have a previous um, you know podcast that goes into detail on this topic of structured notes. 
But you know, I, I personally really um, I'm a big fan of these in this environment. They're a, a very just to kind of refresh for the listener that may not have heard that they're they're a very customizable um, investment that are that are written by high credit rated banks, double A and single A, you know, rated banks are issuing these notes, but the custom the customization of these is incredibly high. But what we've tried to do is design, you know, very specific notes that meet needs for our investors to to shift risk away from interest rates and to take on some other, um, you know, some pretty maybe equity market risk with a lot of protection in order to generate higher yields. And so it, I, I think these are very opportunistic investments. They're not always the best investment in any environment. In this current environment, I absolutely love them, and they've been, you know, doing really well as far as delivering mid and high single-digit interest rate returns for something that I believe is a, you know, relatively safe investment. So on a risk-adjusted basis, I think they're really knocking it out of the park for clients. I know you turn around and get pretty excited sometimes when you get the quotes back and see the economics in some of these deals. So um, I know you, I know you do get fired up about that. One last idea that I want to hit on, it's a little bit, you know, traditionally people have used fixed income for various purposes. One of those is income and to kind of replace their income in retirement or to supplement their income in different ways. And so in a, you know, high inflation environment, typically, you know, there's fixed income's not going to do a great job of keeping up with inflation or outpacing it. So one of the things that we employ here at Centura is real estate, particularly syndicated offerings. And I think that lines up with some of the attributes that investors have traditionally sought, especially income-oriented investors. But in this inflationary environment, rising interest rate environment might be a good alternative to consider. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, absolutely. So another outside-the-box way to think about fixed income, if if you boil it down to what you're not the not the underlying asset of, of fixed income, but what it is that you're trying to accomplish, right? Fixed income investors looking for income or yield. They're looking for protection of principle, and they're looking for diversifying asset classes to balance out their overall portfolio. With real estate, you can accomplish those as well, right? It's not a bond, but it is something that throws off a generally consistent yield. It's got an asset that instead of maturing at the same value at which you take it on, right, par for a bond, it actually has the ability to appreciate with inflation. So it's, it, the, the asset class of real estate is generally fairly correlated to that of inflation over the longer term. So it kind of eliminates the buying power risk of, uh, of traditional fixed income because you're making that investment, you're receiving yield like interest payments, but over time, the underlying value of the asset should appreciate as well. And it's, it's also a very tax efficient vehicle to invest in. So there are a lot of reasons um, why one would invest in real estate as a sort of an outside the box alternative to traditional fixed income. Great. Well, yeah, we love using real estate both in a you know portfolio context, as you just described, but also in a, a planning context. You know, there's synergy between planning and investments and we try to optimize what goes on there by coordinating you know preferred investments and preferred locations so certain types of planning strategies work better with certain investments paired with them than others and so you know i think this is a a fantastic set of alternative investments for our listeners to consider just before we get into that are there any other risk or tax 
profiles that are considerations on any of these, you know, alternatives are kind of a funny asset class and we, we tend to focus on them here at Centura, but what else from a risk or tax perspective should our investors consider? Well, so they, they do all have, these are very unique investments. You know, traditional fixed income kind of has a, a little bit more of a vanilla profile. You're looking at the, you know, the credit of the underlying issuer. Is it good? Is it bad? It's a little bit more straightforward. Here we're talking, we're bringing in a lot of different kind of risks. Again, in order to swap out that interest rate risk, we're taking on other risks to achieve returns. Private credit, you know, you're, you're it's more similar to traditional fixed income. You're taking on credit risk of the issuer, but you're you're gaining some extra yield from the illiquidity and inefficiency of that market. And it's taxed as ordinary income. So you're not picking up a, a tax improvement over traditional fixed income. You're, the, the interest that you receive will be taxed as interest or ordinary income. But depending on the vehicle that you're investing in, that may make a lot of sense. The insurance provides a deferral of uh, the taxability of growth. So inside of an insurance policy, gains grow tax deferred. So it's when you ultimately take uh, something out of there, it may or may not be taxable depending on the circumstances, right? If it's due to a death or just due to a redemption of the policy, or if you take a loan out, there's, there's a lot of ways to access that capital, but for the initially the gains are deferred. Uh, so another sort of a different tax aspect there. The structured notes typically would throw off ordinary income, uh, similar to the private credit, but you know a much higher yield than you'd be getting elsewhere. So it, it depends on where you want to place that investment. And the real estate, right, is very tax efficient because you you know if if it's done right, you're picking up a lot of depreciation that offsets the income that's generated, as well as uh, you know the. Uh, you have the inflation sort of correlation there. So the attributes of each of these are very different and unique, and it really depends on where you're gonna be placing these within the estate. You have different vehicles to invest from, and that's what it's important. Like you were, you were talking about from a planning perspective, uh, all the different strategies that you know we do employ and that you guys kind of work with clients on optimizing their, their whole estate structure. Once that's in place, then it's important to look at which vehicles you have and which which of these investments most align with the characteristics of those particular structures that you've got in place. Great. All right, David. Well, we've covered a lot here. Uh, let's wrap it up. You know, I think from a I'll cover it from a planning perspective, and then we'll flip it back to you for investments. But from a planning perspective, the cheese is always moving, and we're always evaluating strategies. That's a phrase that Derek, always, our CEO, always likes to say. And really, what that means is that we're evaluating the math and the formulas and the economics of these transactions. We're looking at the merits and the risks, and we're trying to determine how best to handle them. And right now, we're still in a low enough interest rate environment for many of the strategies that have been employed recently, in recent years, I should say, uh, are still viable. So if you're considering anything from an income tax planning or a state tax planning standpoint, uh, now's the time to look at it. Rates only look to be going higher, and it'll become higher and higher hurdle rates, and we may need to ultimately move to different things that don't ultimately work as well. So I think that's something that um, is of paramount importance right now, and we'll continue watching that. But anybody that's interested in discussing their situation or learning more about that should definitely contact us. Um, there's a lot that we can do on that, or you know, talk to your advisor if you don't have one, definitely contact us. That's from a planning standpoint. Uh, David, why don't you close it out from an investment standpoint, and we'll send it back to Eric. Yeah, th thank you, Sean. So 
from an investment standpoint, I think it's just um, the takeaway here would be there are other options, right? I think a lot of people feel trapped by traditional fixed income and say, well, this has to be a part of my portfolio. There's nothing else I can do. I just have to deal with it. And the answer is, you know, in many circumstances, no, you have a lot of other options to look at. And they're all very, um, very unique. And they have uh, a lot of different characteristics that you need to be mindful of that are appropriate specific for each investor. But there are other solutions to look at that I think are very attractive in this market. And we've been using them in the past, and we're going to continue to use them. So I just, you know, want to give a little hope to people that feel that they're trapped in traditional fixed income that, you know, let's talk about some other options. And, and I love marrying that with all the strategies that you work on, you know, with them to say, hey, look, in this environment, we're going to do X, Y, and Z from a planning perspective. And once that's established, okay, how are we going to now fill this bucket, this, this vehicle that we've created, how are we going to invest that? And we have some really interesting ways that marry very well with those strategies, right? You have a strategy that's tied to the rate environment and you then you have an investment deployment that is also tied to that rate environment and you need to marry all those together to really have your optimal outcome. And that's why I love sort of the conversation today that's just showing how that all works together and that there are, are options that are you know worth discussing. So I would really welcome those conversations for anybody that's interested to explore more. Yep, fun stuff, we love it. Eric, that's all we got for today. Gentlemen, this has been fantastic. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your time, sharing your wisdom and knowledge. J- just to the listening audience, here's the thing: is we started off this conversation talking about this is kind of water cooler talk. Right? This is the stuff that everybody's talking around the water cooler, whether you're you're doing it virtually or whether you're actually in the office. But that's just where it is. It's at the water cooler, and really, whether you're talking to Bill or Susan, it really just brings up more questions. These guys are here to deliver the answers. So, again, guys, thank you so much for doing that. And, of course, our last thank you goes to you, listening audience. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the Live Life Liberated podcast with the team from Centura Wealth Advisory. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when they come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And this makes it really easy to share these podcasts with those folks around the water cooler so they don't just come up with dumb ideas. They actually have the answers that these guys provide. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Centura Wealth Advisory, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Live Life Liberated podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Centura Wealth Advisory. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Centura Wealth Advisory, Centura, is an SEC registered investment advisor with its principal place of business in San Diego, California. Centura and its representatives are in compliance with the current registration and notice filing requirements imposed on SEC-registered investment advisors, in which Centura maintains clients. Centura may only transact business in those states in which it is notice filed or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from notice filing requirements. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Tax relief varies based on client circumstances and all clients do not achieve the same results. 